You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Oh, yes, but more importantly, she did it for Jesus. That's what was told to her. You can get some ice cream for doing it, but more importantly, you do it for Jesus. So today we continue with our sermon series, Beliefs. Um, It's a sermon series where we're looking at many different beliefs in the church. And in your bulletin, there's a trifold that is the sermon outline for this morning. Every week during this sermon series, you're going to receive a trifold that is your sermon outline. And you can um, follow along in it and fill in the sermon outline uh, blanks. Here they are. Um, And here's what it looks like. Today, we're going to talk about baptism. And I'm going to push some lines. Um, <laughs> I came out of Sunday school and I saw my, my, my earthly boss is here today. And I said, wonderful. I'm going to push some lines today. And my earthly boss is sitting here. So if I'm not in his pulpit next week, you know what happened. All right. Um, I'm just kidding. He, he, I, I hope he'll be okay with everything I have to say um, this morning. But uh, we want to just make sure that we understand because one of the things that is going on is, is that our, our beliefs are being questioned. And if we don't know what we believe, if we don't know what we, what we stand for, what can end up happening is you can fall, the old statement, if you don't know what you believe, you fall for anything. And so when someone comes along with something that sounds good, feels good, we jump on it. And so we, we need to be solid on what we believe. And so this sermon series, we're going to be traveling through some different um, actions of Christians, some beliefs of Christians, some principles of Christians, and tra- talking about each of them, and then asking you to consider how do you work this out in your life. Our belief sermon series is today's subject has traveled many ages and has many differing opinions. Christians participate in two God-ordained sacraments that celebrate what God has done for us. The first one is communion. We'll talk about that at another time, the Lord's Supper. And baptism is the second one. Communion is celebrated on a regular basis. In our denomination, you must celebrate it at least four times a year. We celebrate it roughly eight times a year here at Faith Church. And baptism is usually a one-time declaration of a lifetime devotion to God. Now, let me just begin by saying this. The human mind explaining baptism is like a harmonica interpreting Beethoven. The music is too majestic for the instrument. No scholar, no saint can fully appreciate what this moment means in heaven. Any words on baptism, including these today, must be seen as human efforts to understand a holy event. Our danger is to swing to one or two extremes. We make baptism either too important or we make it unimportant. Either way, we defy it or we trivialize it. I have watched and I have learned and I have studied this past week. I have heard of churches that will not baptize unless it's running water. Because somehow they have interpreted scripture to say that if it's not running, you are baptizing people the wrong way. 
I have heard churches say you will not become a member there until you are baptized. Now, we do have that belief, but they are talking about immersion baptism, not infant baptism. We will talk about infant baptism in a moment. I have heard churches make it too big of a deal, and I've, had church, I've heard of churches making it very irrelevant. And I wonder, is that the reason why we see some of the struggles that we see today? It's just a question that captured my mind. Because if you go back to the very first fathers of Christianity and you read their works, they are dead set on it. In fact, many of you, if you read their works, you would be shocked what you read. People that wrote back in the day of Jesus, other books, not just in the Bible, their opinions of what the scriptures say and how passionate they are about baptism. In fact, I had one such quote in this sermon and I deleted it because I felt it was a little strong. But I wonder if I made a mistake by hitting the delete button. Have we trivialized something and made it so unimportant that people are not being blessed as much as they could have been? These are just questions that I've asked myself. As your pastor. One can see baptism as the essence of gospel, of the gospel, or as irrelevant to the gospel. Both sides are equally passionate. One person says, I'm saved because I was baptized. The other says, I'm saved so I don't need to be baptized. The challenge is to let the pendulum stop somewhere between those two viewpoints. This is done by placing it where it should be, at the foot of the cross. Unfortunately, where it is, is it's in the minds of men. And when things are in the minds of men, we get passionate about it. He's wrong. She's wrong. I'm right. When God himself doesn't even speak that passionately about it. And so what God is saying to us this morning is, is that this is one of those places where we need to hear this side and we need to hear that side and we need to come down the middle. Because I've watched people be hurt by this subject. I have some family members currently that are struggling with this subject. That's the... Baptism can be a hard subject for many. It's the next slide, I believe, Bill. Yep. Um, can be an emotional subject for many. Because of different churches we may have been a part of, or maybe different discussions, the reality is, is that we can bring up some serious emotion with each of us, with, with each of us, within each of us. I'm not here this morning to speak about that infant baptism that I mentioned earlier. That's a whole other message. The reality is, is that there are those who believe either get your child baptized or they won't be saved. That is not at all what the EC Church believes and should not at all what the Bible says. My friends, nowhere in Scripture does it say that, and that is far from the truth. Almost the attitude as we've got to get them in. It's not the truth of the Word of God. Not even close. 
So let's look at the word baptism. If we're going to understand this subject, we've got to understand where the, where the word comes from. And so baptize was not always a religious word. It's, here's what it looks like in the Greek so that you can go home a little um, wiser to that. It's, it's, it's baptizo is what it's called in the Bible. Um, and it's a Greek word. Um, and and, and, and uh, so here's what, what happens with words. I need to explain this so you understand what's going on. There's a translation of words, and that is is that you match the Greek to the English, all right? And so um, that's the next slide in there. Um, The translation is is you match the the Greek to the English. Then there's a transliteration, as you can see. You take the letters in the Greek and spell out the letters in the English. This right here? is a transliteration. It's not a direct from Greek to English or from English to Greek. And so please understand that as we look at this, this is just a word that has not always had theological meaning. In fact, in 20 AD, in the first century, um, there was a definition that was given. It was wash, plunge, soak, and dip. Wash, plunge, soak, and dip. And this, is, this again, was, was before it was a theological word. In fact, there is one recipe for pickles in 20 AD mentioned baptizing them twice. No lie. In 20 AD, in, in the early church writers, there's a recipe for pickles that says, baptize the pickles twice, and then they'll be saved. No, it doesn't really say that. All right? It says, baptize the pickles twice. And so people who say... This, is, this can, be, can be so dogmatic on this subject, but, but let's be honest about it and say that the word wasn't always used the way that we like to defend this belief. Sometimes it was used to talk about how you make pickles, baptize the vegetable in hot water, and then take the vegetable and baptize it in vinegar. That's the actual. And then the vegetable goes to heaven. Nope, it didn't say that part. So how did it get its theological meaning? Here's how it did. So before Jesus, there was a system created for Gentiles to become Jews. Because think of this. Now remember, what does Jesus say to us when we want to be saved? What does he say in John chapter 3? We talked about this last week in our message on salvation, which lays the groundwork for all of this. And so what does he say? He says, be born again. Here's the problem. A Gentile couldn't be born again as a Jewish person. So something had to be done in order for them to become Jewish. They couldn't just be born again. That's why Christ says it is important that if you're going to be my follower, you must be born again. We call it in our sermon, um, in our our discipline, we call it regeneration. It's one of our... Articles of faith. And so there's this regeneration. Well, that wasn't happening when the Gentiles wanted to become Jewish. So they, they did some things. First of all, they did circumcision. Circumcision. We're not going to talk about that. Um, we're going to leave that one to yourself. I'm thinking that we're all here. We know what this is. And so it is a powerful movement. And, and that was the first thing they did to try to wash away the Jewishness or the Gentileness, and become Jewish, all right? The second thing they did was they, they, they brought a covenant meal. 
They made a covenant meal together so that they could fellowship together, so that they could, so that they could have a fellowship together and they could, again, move towards being more Jewish in their beliefs. Thirdly, they acknowledgement, they had an acknowledgement of the law. So in other words, this is where the Pharisees really got passionate. You had to surrender to the law. The law was everything. Don't surrender to the law. You don't, you're not Jewish. You, you, you gotta, you gotta surrender to the law, friends. You want to wipe that Gentileness away? Surrender to the law. That's where the Pharisees were passionate. You know how they did it. You know, everything was about the law. Follow the law. And if we don't have a law for that, we'll make up a law so that we can make up, so that we can have a law for that. And what ended up happening was they had law number 16, and then they had law 16A, 16B, 16C, 16D, 16E, and the alphabet went on because something new came up and we had to make a law for it. Or they gave a sacrifice. They gave a sacrifice. You hear about this in the Old Testament all the time. Sacrifice this animal, sacrifice that animal, sacrifice. Or they did a ceremonial washing. You read about this in scripture as well. I'm purposely not going into great detail here. I got a lot to cover. But let's say, let's just say that these are the things that they built in so that you could become Jewish. If you wanted to be. And so what does God's word say about baptism? Baptism is kind of God's way of saying this is how you become a part. One way of becoming a part of the family. One of Jesus's more important statements speaks of baptism. Here's what he says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Listen, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All nations, all people groups. It was clear. And if you think that the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit is some neat little saying that we came up with. Nope, it's Jesus' saying. It's Jesus' formula. And here's what he's saying. He's saying at the end of his time on earth, as he's about to depart and go to be with his Father... He looks at his disciples and he looks at you and I, spiritually speaking, and he says, here's what you need to do. You need to go to all the nations. You need to go to all the people groups. You need to preach the gospel. And you need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you would think if it's not important in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying it's as important as some make it, and I'm not saying it's not as important as some others don't make it. But if it wasn't important, Jesus would have left that sentence out. You would think. I mean, why would he, at the end of his time, why would be these be the last words he leaves with his disciples? If it's just, oh, well, oh, well. It's a powerful question. It's a question I've wrestled with today and this week. 
But Peter shows us something else. Peter shows us in the New Testament, baptism was not a ho-hum ritual. A ho-hum ritual. You didn't think you were going to get that in the sermon outline today, did you? Ho-hum. I come up with big words for this one. And this water symbolizes baptism, it says, that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a helpful verse in understanding baptism. Here, Peter is using Noah's story. If you read later on, he's using the story of Noah and the flood. It's actually pretty powerful. And it also goes back to what I said last week, how many pastors in other denominations and other places are saying that Noah's flood was just a fanatical story that we tell, and it's beautiful, and it's all that, but it's not true. Well, if it's not true, then apparently the New Testament needs some work too. As Peter uses it right here, and he says, listen, God uses water to wipe the earth clean, except for believers, Noah and his family. It says it in Genesis, Noah was a righteous man doing what is right in the eyes of God. It is an interesting way of looking at it. And in all honesty, it was something that struck me this past week powerful and tell me again how the story of God doesn't come full circle he didn't do Noah's ark he didn't flood the earth for no apparent reason he had his reasons I do have a warning for you though many will read this passage and you can see it on the screen this morning and take the part which now saves you it says and say see it is salvation wait time out. The reality here is, is that that statement is tied to the end, which points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Peter, when he was writing, he was writing a full sentence. He wasn't just writing a half of a sentence. And so when we take that scripture passage, and many have, many have, some of your friends have taken that scripture passage and says, listen, it says it saves you. But it only saves you, or it only has a portion, it does not save you, but it only has a portion of any kind of power because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you because it, it's, it's a part of the power of baptism. It only has any power because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is very important. Because otherwise, you could be led down a stream that you do not want to go down. It's just another way that Easter matters, friends. Without it, we would have nothing to stand on. This promise is vital. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Would you feel comfortable? And here's the question. Here's the illustration that came to mind. I thought of Michelle and I getting married and, and, and you know, baptism and marriage, there's some, there's some kickers there too together and, and, and we'll get to those. But would you feel comfortable marrying someone who wanted to keep the marriage a secret? No, seriously, would you feel comfortable if your spouse came to you as a, as a fiance and said, I don't want to tell anybody that we're married? Neither does God. The bride wants you to know, and he wants the world to know that you're a part of his. 
He wants you to know you're his bride. It's not something we should keep secret. It's one thing to say in the privacy of your own heart that you are a sinner in need of a savior, but it's quite another to walk out of the shadows and stand before family and friends and colleagues to state publicly that Christ is your forgiver and master. That step raises the ante. You now go from a tire kicker to a car purchaser. Jesus commanded his followers to prove it, to make the pledge by public demonstration in baptism. Remember again, among Jesus' final words was the universal command to go and make followers of all people in all world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, baptism was no casual custom, no ho-hum event or ritual. Baptism was and is but the pledge of a clear conscience. That's what Peter is saying here, a clear conscience towards God. That's what he's asking of you. But it goes on in Scripture. Baptism is a vow, a sacred vow. In Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says these words. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. The Apostle Paul spoke about where there is an increase of sin, there's an even greater increase of grace. He talks about it in Romans chapter 5. Again, I don't have time to go there with you, but you should. And then obviously a, a church member in the Roman church, uh, I jokingly say, kind of got up and said, wait, okay, so if grace increases when I sin, ding, I'll sin more and get more grace. Doesn't that sound like one of us? I mean, it sounds like me. There are times when, 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 I, when I think of things and I'm like, you know, because I am American. What do Americans do well? We try to cut corners, right? Oh, the cop will give me the extra five. The law says this, but the cop will give me the extra And so it happens in the church. And so some Roman person got up and said, wait, wait, wait one second. Now, if, if in Romans chapter 5, you're writing to us, Paul, and you said that when we sin more, we get more grace. Maybe I should sin more. That's why he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The Apostle Paul spoke about where there's an increase of sin. Again, there's an even greater increase of grace. So someone perked up again. And so if I sin more, I'll get more grace. Sign me up. Paul says, wait one second. William Barclay puts it this way. How despicable it would be for a son to consider himself free to sin because he knew that his fathers would forgive him. 
Now, I'm a, you may find this hard to believe, but I'm a pretty forgiving guy. I like to show grace, probably sometimes a little too much. Can you imagine if Freddie went to school every week and said, I know my dad's going to forgive me, so I'll just throw spitballs at my teacher all day long. I know my dad's going to forgive me, so I'll tell Mrs. Goodman, the school head of King's Academy, that she smells. <laughs> Whatever. Everybody would look at Freddie and say, why are you doing that? Well, my dad will forgive me anyway. And yet we don't even blink an eye when we do it to God. Well, I know I should do this, but I'm not going to do this so that, and if I don't do it, I know that God's not going to be happy with me, but that's okay because he'll forgive me anyway. This is what William Barclay is calling despicable. Notice verse 2 does not say that sin dies to the believer. It's the believer who has died to sin. That's key. This doesn't mean that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that all of a sudden the, the push of sin is out of your life. Okay, listen. If I could preach the other way and say, hey, once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the brokenness of this world doesn't impact you ever again, trust me, I would. But I can't. Because that's not what Scripture says. In Romans 6. It says... The believer has died to sin. Sin hasn't died to the believer. This was handled on the cross when Christ died for sin. And then you go to verse 4, which is also on the screen, and we get to the meat of the challenge this morning. Our burial certifies the, the reality of death. But as we know from Easter, death and burial aren't the end of the redemptive story. And neither are they for your story. Because you are, quote, dead in the waters. But those who then resurrected from those waters, just like Christ was resurrected from the dead in a manifestation of the Father's glorious powers, we are raised from the waters of baptism into a new way of living. But remember, none of this is possible without the powerful act of him calling us into a relationship with him. And do not be mistaken, as it was said last week, there was nothing, nothing, nothing that caught his attention that you brought to the table. Nothing. I wasn't born and God looked at me and said, hmm, he's a pretty good kid. I think I'll call him. No, he calls the entire world by dying on a cross. And he says, listen, here it is. Here it is. I'm doing the work. I'm setting the parameter of the covenant. And I'm asking you to be a part of it. 
This covenant isn't based on your actions. This covenant isn't based on your steps. This covenant is simply based on the son dying on the cross and paying the price. And it all fits into baptism because we are raised from those waters. We're dead in sin. When we go under, we are dead in the water. And the same resurrection power that brought Jesus out of the grave brings us out of those waters. The Apostle Paul goes even farther in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the rule of the kingdom of, this air, of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were there by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is saying is the exact same thing that Jesus says in John 10.10. And here's what he says. The thief, he comes to steal. He comes to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You want life to the full this morning? It's the reason why we came up with this tagline here at Faith Church. Loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. Straight out of Jesus' mouth to your heart. Love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind for life and bring other people into that life that is full of goodness. And then in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus says, or Jesus comes down from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And I love the, the back and forth here, but John tried to deter him. And can you imagine this? Here's the master coming to you saying, I need to be baptized. And John's like, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you, he says. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it, or that's what John says back to Jesus. Look, it shouldn't be me baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then Matthew just leaves it at this, because Matthew's straight to the point. He just says, then John consented. <laughs> John said, all right. Why is this important? Because Jesus knew that every one of us following him needed to be, needed to have something happen. And here's what he needed, here's what he knew we needed. He knew that we needed to see what he was asking us to do. Put it in 2022 language, he knew that we were visual learners. 
Does Jesus need to be baptized? He says he does. Why? He's perfect. Because there was something inside of him that knew that it would show us the way. Like he does with all of his teachings. He doesn't ask us to go and work and go and, and reach a Samaritan woman who's living in sin and do so with love and grace without doing it. Right? So the next time you're in a dirty situation where you're saying to yourself, hey, I got to minister to this person over here. I got to share the gospel with this person over here. And they ain't exactly living the most godly of lifestyles. Don't you dare say that Jesus never had to do this stuff. He showed you he did. And he showed you because he wanted you to do likewise. So our master comes off the banks of the Jordan and John says, behold the Lamb of God. Earlier in John, in the Gospel of John, man, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of your sandals. And you want me to baptize you? The answer is yes. And the interesting part that came out in many studies this past week was the answer, the reason the answer is yes, is for somebody that's very important. That would be you and me. The reason Jesus says, yes, John, you are correct. You don't even deserve to untie my sandals. But yes, John, you're going to baptize me. And so the world would see it. And the world would say that the master has done it. Shouldn't I? So what is baptism? There's a few statements that I would like to close with. Baptism is an outward act of an inward desire. It's much like a a wedding ring. Outwardly, it tells every person that I'm taken. Inwardly, I have a desire to love on and to minister to Michelle Kindig. Baptism in some small way is just like that. Outwardly, I'm saying, I'm all Jesus's. Inwardly, I have a desire to follow him with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And I take his truth very seriously. That's baptism. But again, and I know I'm pounding this home, this means nothing without a relationship with him. I was going to start this sermon series with baptism. Then God and I had a conversation, not verbally, but in my heart.
And I remember it very well. I sat in my office ready to roll in this baptism sermon, and he said to me, don't you think you should start with what's most important? Because if they don't know me, this isn't even for them. And something you learn after being in the ministry for 20-some years is, is that you don't say no to God. You should learn that early on, but sometimes you're arrogant when you're younger and you think you can and get away with it. And so the sermon changed because the outward and the inward only matters if we're living for him. Number two is baptism is a public declaration of a new association. In Ephesians 2 that I read earlier for you in verses 1 through 10, we once belonged to the world, it said. We once followed their way, but no longer, folks. We are redeemed by the Savior and live for his glory. Does that mean that we don't fail? No. But it means when we do fail, it really should hurt. Because I'm not just failing myself, I'm failing him. One of the things that I've tried to instill in my children, and I am not a perfect dad, <laughs> nowhere close, is, is that, look, you're going to come home and I'm going to get a report from your teacher. I'm going to be mad. But I'm going to tell you who's even mad besides me. If you pulled them aside today and asked them this question before I even say these words, they'd answer for you, God. I remember back in the 1990s when I was a youth pastor, 90, 2000-ish, they, um, Josh McDowell came out with a, a book called Right and Wrong. It was highly controversial. And he says something in that book that, that, that that's why I do this to my children. I teach them that God is upset as well as I am upset. Because what we have done is, is that we've taught them. He, he goes on to say in that book that, that what we have taught children is, is that it doesn't matter what we do. If you just upset dad, it's okay. It was a very big push. It was one whole chapter on this teaching them that there's something bigger to live for. I remember Josh saying, you won't be in your children's lives forever. But God will. And so this baptism is a public decoration of a new association. We once lived like this. But now we live like this. Where it matters when I mess up. But it doesn't matter to the point where a mess up means I'm constantly having to catch up. This is what Paul is talking about in Thessalonians when he says, you should be concerned when that doesn't happen. He uses a word of putting the fire of the Holy Spirit out. 
quenching his quenching the fire. What those people have done is they have continued to live like this over here that Ephesians talks about and continue to do it and don't really even care. And then when that happens, when, it, when, it, when you can do something wrong, completely wrong, and not even have a tweak, not even feel like, mm, I could have handled that one better. You got a problem. And so baptism is a public decoration to the entire world, to your friends, to your family, that you're, you're a part of a new association. But baptism is also a personal declaration of a new association. So not only is it public, it's, it's personal. Now this is where the debate of infant baptism versus adult baptism takes a steep turn. And, and this is where I will tread lightly <laughs> this morning. But let me say this much about this point. I emailed, I texted my mom this past weekend on Thursday, and I said, Mom, how old was I when I got infant baptized? And was I even infant baptized? I didn't even know if I was. And, and shortly thereafter, a couple minutes later, I get this ding on my phone, and it says, approximately eight months old. Okay. Can I tell you that I never remember looking at them saying, Craig and Lynette, would you baptize me? Never once. Never remember asking them to do this for me. I, I didn't have a say in any of it. I, I, I didn't have a declaration. And so, this is why I went off to Baptist Bible College in 1994. Sat under some teaching and got some, some things, and I came back to an evangelical congregational church, and I, and I looked at my pastor, who was Pastor Dick Christman, and I said to him, Pastor Dick, I, I realize the importance of infant baptism. I get it. But here's where I struggle. I want to tell my friends and the world, and I want to tell myself that I belong to Jesus. And at eight months of age, I never got that chance. Thank God I had parents that gave me that chance. I want to be clear on that. Please understand that, that the parents did, did nothing wrong. In fact, what I told my mom and dad after I went back to them after my freshman year and I said, listen, I want to be baptized. And my pastor agreed to me being baptized. And, and, and I walked back to my mom and dad. I said, mom and dad, you remember in the part in the, in the infant baptism service of the EC church? And you'll remember this if you've been here when they've done a baptism of an infant. It actually says these words. Someday this child will be brought up to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the promise we're making right now. Hey, Mom and Dad, when I go under with Pastor Dick and Pastor Daryl and they've baptized me, this promise has come full circle. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is what you agreed to in front of the entire congregation, Mom and Dad. 
And so remember that this is a personal declaration. Am I perfect? Nope. Was I perfect then? Nope. Was I perfect now? Nope. Did I have all of life's answers then? Nope. Do I have all of life's answers now? I'm finding out I have less of them as we go. And that leads me to my last point. You don't need to reach some kind of perfection for baptism. The most important of all things is the first sermon of this series, salvation. Have you made it right with Jesus? Are you currently walking with him through things like justification, sanctification, I explained last week, repentance. That is what is important. That's what's important. So I end with this question. Will you take the plunge? Do you want to take the plunge? Now, obviously, there are those illustrations in, in, in Scripture that, that give us the opportunity to fight this sermon. The very first one that came up in my mind when I was preparing this sermon was, well, what about the guy who's sitting on his, or standing on, or hanging on the cross next to Jesus? They didn't bring him down and baptize him, Pastor. You're right. You're right. So, did I ever say salvation was tied to it? Nope. But now you are faced with those opportunities. And one thing that a commentator said that was very interesting was is that many people throw that in people's faces when they are brought up because they don't want to see the harshness and the reality of what they're about to make their decision on. So instead of dealing with the scriptures and what the scriptures say, what we do is say, well, look at this one illustration that says everything that you just said is bunk. Congratulations. You win. But did you really win? Nope. Because the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and other people were very clear, Jesus himself said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, will you take the plunge? And if you are willing, if you are willing to take the plunge, you are to sign up on that little sheet that's in your bulletin and just kind of lay it on your, on your sermon, on your, on your pulpit, on your, uh, on your pulpit, on your, on your pew, and just leave it there. And I will be in contact with you. I'm, I'm working on some ways to try to have a baptism right here. I am so tired of waiting for swimming pools to open up and figuring out how to get here and how to get there. There is some ways that some other EC pastors have brought to my attention of doing it right here in the sanctuary. So we can be comfortable. We can actually do it during a service and baptize people right here in our own sanctuary. And if you're interested in learning more about that, come and see me. About that, I would love a little extra hands, but if not, I understand. And so that is baptism. And do not walk out of here saying he just downplayed my parents' choice. I didn't. 
I'm asking you to make it full circle today. No matter your age, no matter where you stand, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to consider being immersed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 